Support for Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Chamber Music Charleston, celebrating the return of live music gatherings and their 15th anniversary, with their season opener featuring violinist Rachel Barton Pine and more. September 28th at the Satilli Theater. For tickets, chambermusiccharleston.org. Support also comes from Brook Green Gardens, presenting the National Sculpture Society's 88th Annual Awards Exhibition, June 12th through August 22nd, and Summerlight Art by Night, Wednesdays through Saturdays until August 22nd. More at brookgreen.org. Productions of chamber music from Spoleto Festival USA are made possible by Bank of America, the ETV Endowment of South Carolina, and the John Covington and Robert Lukey Fund for the Performing Arts. Hello and welcome to Spoleto Backstage, your slim, sleek, and nifty pocket guide to the incredible people and amazing performances of the 2021 Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series. Hi, I'm Bradley Fuller, and on this fourth pod of the 2021 lineup, we'll be taking another dive into some richly expressive Romantic-era works. But while the last episode featured two 19th-century violin sonatas, this episode showcases works for wind and string instruments that brought Romanticism well into the 20th century, just underscoring the point that eras and categories and styles are not always these sharply defined things confined to a single span of time. I should add here that if the music of Mozart and the classical period is more your thing, or if you're anxious to hear more in the way of 21st century chamber selections featured on this year's series, Backstage has your back. Episodes focusing on other eras, plus specific artists and instruments, will be coming your way soon. But even sooner, this very episode, Max Brooks' double concerto for clarinet and viola will wash over us, and the artist who's playing the parts of both soloist and arranger will provide a little perspective on it, plus quite a few laughs. That's a conversation with Todd Palmer, and it's coming up in just a bit. But to begin, some music. An incredible example of 20th century romanticism here for us from 1935. This is the first movement of Erno Dochnanyi's Sextet in C Major, Opus 37. Our six performers are pianist Pedro Mutsievich, violinist Jennifer Frauchi, violist Sin Yun Huang, cellist Arlen Lesko, clarinetist Todd Palmer, and hornist David Bird Merrow.
That was the Allegro Appassionata opening movement of Erno Dochnanyi's Sextet in C Major, Opus 37. Performing there were Peja Mutsievich, Piano, Jennifer Frauchi, Violin, Sinyun Huang, Viola, Arlen Lesko, Cello, Todd Palmer, Clarinet, and David Bird Marrow, Horn. More 20th century romanticism is ahead with Max Brooks' Double Concerto for Clarinet and Viola, Opus 88, from 1911. Now, you might be wondering what a 20th century concerto is doing on a podcast run focused on chamber and not orchestral music. But for this year's Spoleto Festival Chamber Series, that work for two soloists and orchestra became chamber music, thanks to the arranging talents of one of the performers you were just hearing, clarinetist Todd Palmer. I had the chance to sit down with Todd recently and learn more about the concerto and how he adapted it for a chamber music setting. Here's part of that conversation with Todd providing some background on Bruch. He was one of those interesting characters that lived a very long life and lived into the 20th century and very similar to Camille Saint-Saëns. They lived into their 80s, lived well after the premiere of The Rite of Spring, And at the turn of the century, so many things were changing in the world and therefore the arts and music. And there was almost like a revolution. You know, you had Stravinsky and you had Debussy Ravel and you had Schoenberg. And here, here was Max Brooks still writing, you know, sort of in the mid 1800s, you know, German romantic music, beautiful structure with a composition and, you know, great lyricism, harmonies that you expect but no surprises ever, even to the very end. And he just sort of outlived his time. I mean, he wrote like over 200 compositions, I believe. And what do we know? We know the The G minor violin concerto, which is a staple. But, and it's just, it's just so sad because since learning the the duo concerto, which is not played that often, maybe in Germany, I'm, I'm sure like, I mean, Brooke was known as a choral composer in his lifetime, uh, but do you hear any of those works anymore? I mean, maybe mm. in, in Germany. Yeah, not you know? often. Yeah, exactly, which is sad, and I'm sure they're very good. But, you know, the, being a clarinetist, you, you really have to know everything that was written for your instrument, <laughs> whether it's good or bad, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and this piece is surprisingly good. It's so beautiful, and I've only had a chance to play it once before. It was many, many years ago. And, and I know that, you know, Jeff is very interested in entertaining the possibility of arranging things for smaller groups. Uh, Basically, it's what we have, (laughs) you know, obviously. And I was, you know, digging through my music over a year ago, and I thought, oh, this, this piece is so wonderful, and nobody knows it. That might be valuable to bring on the stage here, you know, in Charleston, somewhat replicating what it would be normally in in the forces that he wrote for, which is kind of interesting because the last movement is for full orchestra with brass and percussion, timpani. And then the first two movements are more chamber-like. In that way, I thought it it could work and then somehow pare down the third movement. I mean, it's unfortunate that a composer makes the brass players sit there for like a <laughs> solid 15 minutes, not playing anything. It's payback. He had an yeah, axe to grind. exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so th- that was, you know, from uh, an arranging point of view, that's always sort of like the puzzle. How do you make it work for smaller forces? And Jeff said, well, we will have this amount of strings and we'll have this amount of winds. So 
I ended up, after looking at the score and all this, I thought, well, can't just do it with a string quartet because there's too many Debussy. And, uh, and I said, well, Jeff, is it possible? Can we have a double string quartet, eight string players plus double bass and plus three wins in the so-called orchestra? And he said, I think we can do that. And here was the other thing that was very crucial. Jeff knew the piece and he liked it already. So that is, that you can't then, know, that's basically makes or breaks it. This is the artistic director of right. the uh, Chamber Music Series. Oh, sure. Series. Yes, yes, Jeff Nuttall. Yes, yeah. yeah, sorry. And he was like, oh, yeah, I love that piece. I was like, and I never thought to ask him, how do you know that piece? Nobody does. And and most violists just haven't had the chance to play it because they always play Bartok or the Walton Concerto or this and that. And with clarinetists, the same thing. When we get the rare chance to play a concerto, we would not think of the Brook double concerto. Maybe the Mozart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe the Mozart. (laughs) Maybe maybe the Mozart. So anyway, uh, Bradley, uh, I set upon myself to start looking at this piece. I got the score. And, you know, this this particular arrangement I started two years ago. It was supposed to be done last summer. All right. So the piece has been in incubation, so to speak, for, for that length of time. And I did a substantial amount of changes when I went back to it, uh, let's say, this past January. I mean, it just sat, you know, in my computer file, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I, I did a lot of changing. And I, I and it was a good thing, in a way, for it to wait because it, it's – the scoring is quite large at some times, and the advantage for arrangers and composers these days is that the software program that we all work with now has a wonderful playback, so you can listen. But it's still not how it's going to sound. And you really don't know until that first rehearsal. And you, and it's almost to one's detriment to listen back many times, because then you think, well, it will sound exactly, you get in your ear, this is how it will sound, but it doesn't, will not sound like that at all with acoustical instruments and real people playing them. Well, and that's a challenge for you because you're you're not just sitting in the audience as the arranger saying, oh, I didn't think it would sound like this, but you're one of the soloists. You're you're the clarinetist as well, so. Yeah, and I had to memorize it. Oh, Oh. my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't planning on that, but then our incredible violist, Sinyan Huang, who will be here, uh, she, I actually think she has a photographic memory. She's never really confessed to that, but... We got together in New York recently a couple of times, and on the third time that we got together, I mean, she hadn't looked at it very much at all. The third time, she had it completely memorized in like a week from the second rehearsal, and I'm still struggling. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's it's such a beautiful piece. It is grade A all the way through, and I think everyone will enjoy it. But, you know, it doesn't break any ground at all. I mean, written in 1911, and his son was a clarinetist, and he had already written the the. There are a number of uh, there are eight trios that he wrote for clarinet, viola, and piano. So this was obviously something that he wrote for his son. Probably was performed once in his mm-hmm. lifetime. Yeah, but somehow it this work has survived, probably because it is written for the clarinet, and it is a very good piece. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's totally fine for a piece just to be good, solid music. Do we, right. do we always have to break ground with every performance or work? You no, know? yeah. Well, the arrangement may not be good. Well, okay. <laughs> we don't well, know yet. breaking ground. We I, don't I'm know yet. I'm just, that's the other thing, because when you're the soloist and you've actually done the arrangement that's happening behind you, so many things can happen that, that go wrong in the first rehearsal. And then I always take it so personally, thinking uh. like, oh, I should have written that or should have done that. I should have put a rehearsal number there and this and that. So... It's with a little bit of trepidation that I go into this because I don't know if it's going to be good or not. One hopes. 
one hopes. Yeah. Well, I, I think with the musicians yeah. on this year's series, I, oh, I think you're in good great. hands. And yeah. I, I've heard your arrangements before. So. Well, yes. Um, but <laughs> no, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing well, this. Well, you're, you're too kind, Bradley. You're too kind. Todd Palmer sharing there about his chamber-sized arrangement of Max Brooks' Concerto for Clarinet, Viola, and Orchestra, Opus 88, an arrangement that was featured on Program 8 of this year's Chamber Music Series. Later on this episode, you'll hear from Todd again as he shares about a moment of crisis on stage. It's a really, really funny story, so don't worry, not a super bad crisis, but before that, more music for us. As you were hearing just then, Todd himself was one of the soloists for this year's Chamber Series performance of the Brook Concerto, sharing the spotlight with violist Sin Yun Huang. Here they are performing that work now, joined by Jennifer Frouchy, Jeff Nuttall, Livia Son, and Eva Dove, violins, Ayane Kozasa, viola, Paul Wianco, Arlen Lesko, and Elisa Weilerstein, cellos, Anthony Monzo, double bass, James Austin Smith, oboe, Monica Ellis Bassoon, and David Bird Marrow, horn. This is Max Brooks' double concerto for clarinet and viola, opus 88, as arranged by Todd Palmer. Thank 
That was Mox Brooks' Concerto for Clarinet, Viola, and Orchestra, turned into a sizable chamber work by clarinetist Todd Palmer. And it was Todd you heard playing that single reed instrument there, sharing center stage with violist Sen Yun Huang. In the ensemble, get ready, take some notes here, Jennifer Frouchy, Jeff Nuttall, Livia Son, and Eva Dove, violins, Ayane Kozasa, viola, Paul Wianco, Arlen Lusco, and Elisa Weilerstein, cellos, Anthony Monzo, double bass, James Austin Smith, oboe, Monica Ellis Bassoon, and David Bird Marrow Horn, really crowding out the stage of the Dock Street Theater, but for some wonderful music. Wonderful music and a great example of romanticism in the 20th century. And you know, there's just so much excellence on the stage of the Dock Street Theater that you might just think every performance goes perfectly or near perfectly. But that hasn't always been the case. Live performance entails live mishaps. Here's Todd again sharing about one of the more memorable moments in the Spoleto Chamber Music Series, which was a fun time in hindsight, at least. That was one of the incredible, one of the infamous concerts. Well, I'm not sure how many years ago it was because we played that piece. It's uh, Oswaldo Golihoff's The Dreams and Prayers of Isaac the Blind Clarinet Quintet, played in a klezmer style. And it involves actually maximum five different clarinets, which I used to do. <laughs> but it's, it's hard to travel now um, with large luggage, and it costs so much for oversized luggage, so I pared it down to four. But you need a bass clarinet, for sure. And so it was a number of years ago. The bass clarinet, often when you play it as a secondary instrument, there's a special kind of bass clarinet stand that you put it on. It's, it's kind of looks like this kind of tripod, but it has, you know, it's firmly planted on the ground. Yeah, keep it secure. And it also weighs like at least 25 pounds. And so to carry that with you, with all those other instruments, it's just, it's just too much. So I devised, so they had something backstage, and it was like a tripod, like for a microphone or something like this. And there was something, you know, to lean it on. I thought, oh, this will work great, you know? In the course of this 35-minute piece, you constantly have to put an instrument down and grab the next one and play it for a page of music and this and that. And one plays the bass clarinet at the end of the first movement and then not until the very end. It's a postlude. So you go through like 33 minutes of music, and then there is a very passionate string interlude. And that's where you put down the standard B-flat clarinet and you pick up the bass for the final two minutes of the piece, which is very quiet. And so it was frightening, actually, when it really happened. But I went, I went to put the clarinet down and I went to grab the bass. And of course, I was still putting the, the smaller clarinet down. And I must have hit the tripod. And, and the whole thing just started to lean forward. And I grabbed the bass, of course. But the tripod just went down. Oh, no. And it, then it became this. And I was sitting on the edge of the stage. And Jeff Nuttall, first violinist, was across from me. And there was this rippling domino effect. It was just the most bizarre thing, where it knocked the stand down next to me of the violist. <laughs> and then that stand went down and knocked the cellist. And it was, it was just unheard of. And then one by one, <laughs> we all stopped playing. And, you know, and the strings were in this very passionate interlude prior to the, the postlude. And all of a sudden, Jeff was like sawing away at the violin. And he was the last one playing. And he just kind of stopped. And he looked up and he said, 
what happened? <laughs> you know, because he just, but you had to be there and uh. it was the most bizarre thing. But, and the other thing is that we still had two minutes to play, but it totally knocked the wind out of the sail. And, yeah. and like, how do you just restart? I was going to ask, did, I mean, did you pick up at like it's, measure 35? It's like... so awkward and just silly. And I guess we did. But um, I'll I'll never forget that moment. That was one of the most historic moments on stage with the calamity. Yeah, you know who knows what will happen this summer. Well, you know, you I know? I think though that's kind of the fun of live performances is yeah. knowing there is the the risk element there makes the reward so much better. Like right. I mean, you're yeah. not going to get that on a on a recording. I mean, you may. Right, depending, but like generally, you're gonna have a you know performance that's really been edited and is up to scratch for everyone involved. Right. Well, another thing I want to add about the bass clarinet is that Jessica Meyer, the composer in residence, Jeff wanted you know some music, musical options for the outreach programs that we just did, and Jessica had a piece for the five players, and it's a quintet she had written, and she said, "Oh, the last movement is really cool, be fun for the kids in this nut, but it was for bass clarinet." And I said, "No." <laughs> going to risk my performing the first you know dive back into my performing life with something with a bass clarinet uh which i haven't even touched in over a year because i've had nothing to play on the bass clarinet and uh and it would just be for like a three minute piece to play on one day you know for 10 minutes i said jessica please don't make me (laughs) do that Uh, let's find, let's play another movement of that work, which we ended up doing and it was fine. But um, I'll never forget that moment for Isaac the Blind. That was sure. Yeah. Well, whether you're lugging around the standard B flat or bass clarinet, uh, right. all best in your, your musical endeavors and especially on this year's Chamber Series. It's been a lot of fun catching up today. Thank you, Bradley. Great to see you. See you. Really you too, see you. Okay. <laughs> Take care. All right. You too. Clarinetist Todd Palmer sharing there about a not-so-majestic moment on stage at Charleston's Dock Street Theater. Maybe not a great time there in the present, but a good story after the fact, right? And maybe also not a bad hack if you're facing another kind of disaster on stage, like a memory slip, maybe a chipped reed, your voice just isn't up to it. Why not take down a few music stands to help you stall for a bit? Always glad to provide you the tricks of the musical trade here on Spoleto Backstage. And I'm also glad you came along for another episode of The Pod. We've reached the coda of this one already. Hopefully you enjoyed some more romantic music, kind of a a, a double feature of romanticism here. But really, it's such great music. And you got to think, you know, people who say they don't like romantic music are like people who say they don't like drama. It's not true. You know, they're, they're the very ones who like it the most. Anyway, just my observation there. Quick reminder, remember to subscribe to the podcast so that each time a new one drops, it will be right there waiting for you. Thanks again for joining and take care until next time. Productions of chamber music from Spoleto Festival USA are made possible by Bank of America, the ETB Endowment of South Carolina, and the John Covington and Robert Lukey Fund for the Performing Arts. (laughs) 